Okay, I like that. The, I like that Supreme badge on the back of your, um, a back of your computer. I got a son that's a fucking Supreme junkie. It's a, it's a cult following. How old is he? He's twenty two, and it's, it's like you're exactly right. It's a cult following, and you got to thank, thank God, I, thank God, I worked hard in my life because it's expensive stuff. Oh my gosh! Just, I mean, right? not to like, not to like tout or anything, but even just that, that backpack behind me. I don't know if you can see it. What is it? A thousand dollars? No, that's that's fourteen. Fourteen what? Thousand. You gotta be shitting me, my brother. No, I'm telling you, like when you build a cult following, people and that that you know that's what uh that's actually a good point to start off on. I heard a thing about Disney. Disney makes movies to drive merchandise because merchandise is eighty percent of their revenue. So you got all these like little girls that go out and watch Frozen. They will beg and beg their parents to go spend forty fifty dollars on a on a you know a little doll that costs 50 cents to make is once you create that that fan base you can sell it really for whatever whatever you want to it's it's valid right i like it they uh so they just sold to uh, i don't know if it's vanity fair but for two 2.1 billion dollars yeah why wouldn't you right yeah <laughs> and they don't even they don't even make their own products all that they do is they go uh collab with with other companies and they just put yeah. their blessing on it and and then sell it for three or four times more it's it's absolutely insane well you know what i did when my kids were little when you think speaking about disney when I, my kids were little i used to buy anytime an animated disney movie would come out they'd call they put this little badge on it they would call it like master theater okay and so i i literally i the, probably the diamond my kids. yeah the diamond i probably have 40 of those in a big plastic tub still in the cellophane wrap okay <laughs> And I bought, I bought it purely as a collection for my kids, right? Some, someday, 200 years from now, that thing's going to be worth, worth $100 probably. Hell, who knows, right? When somebody's opened up one of those, uh, those time boxes and they, they pull those out, this stuff's going to be worth, worth more than gold. You know, right. The people are going to be freaking out. It's, but. It's, a, uh, it's, on a, it's on a, we're on a weird landscape. We'll, we'll start and then I'll, then I'll kind of, I'll do an introduction. But you, you really, so many people are now hopping into the fin fitness in industry, but you did it before yeah. it was cool and, and popular. I mean, it, okay, you know, you go back to, was it 2003 when you started Snap? Yeah, I opened my first club in 2004. 2004. Which is yeah. ne just now people are hopping on this huge trend. So you were, you were, I mean, so go back maybe five years. You were at least twelve to thirteen years ahead of, ahead of your time on, even though it had been done. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think honestly, Nick, I think that the, um, I think the my most creative or innovative thought that I had. I mean, exercise has always been around. Back back from the you know the father of exercise, people like to say is Jack Willane. You remember Jack? He had that blue jumpsuit, yep, white and kind of white shoes. I mean, he was, so he was way ahead of his time. He was like seventy and big chest and just you know just a fitness fanatic, right? So he pioneered the road for all of us, and he got he brought Vogue into the world of fitness. Okay, beyond beyond just bodybuilding, you know, um, Lou Ferrigno, Arnold Schwarzenegger times, 
it, it brought it brought this active lifestyle of exercising. You know, he was he was the, a critical part of that. But what I what I where I was really innovative was probably in 2008, where I brought heart rate based training into exercise. So. For me, anyone that joined one of our clubs, they got a they got a heart rate monitor because I was I was my commitment to the industry was I'm going to deliver results. I'm not going to deliver just a membership. I'm going to deliver results. And for me, I couldn't get you to the promised land of whatever that wellness journey looked like for you unless I could measure how hard you were willing to work. And the one thing you couldn't fake was your heart rate. I mandated it. Every time somebody joined, they got a heart rate monitor. And then when, when they come into the gym on a big screen in the gym would be like a little a nickname or something that you put on yourself if you wanted to be discreet about it. But it would tell you what zone you were training in. And then it would give you analytics post the workout. It would tell you just how hard you trained. Because when somebody says, hey, Peter, I can't seem to lose these, these last 15 or 20 pounds. I can't, I can't seem to shake them. And I would tell them, well, look, this is, this is going to be easy. Let's, let's, look at your, let's look at your training habits. And then I would tell them, look, you've got two things that we need to work on. Number one, we need to increase the intensity of which you're training. And number two, if you don't mind, I want to take a deep dive look into how you're eating when you get home because abs are made in the kitchen. You'll never out-exercise a bad diet. So for me, what, what the part of my, of my success in the wellness space was just my down-to-earth approach to it. I'm not better than anyone, but I'm telling you, you know, I am going to hold you accountable. I'm going to give it to you real, which is what I do in business today as well. People love, people love the fact that I'm kind of a watered down Gary V, if you will. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it to you straight. And, and that's kind of why I got into the space to begin with. No, I, I love that. I always tell people your customer base should only be as loyal as your dedication to innovation. So many times people get to a, a point. I mean, you see it with, you see it with companies like Napster and Facebook. Some people get to a point and if they don't continuously innovate, then somebody else is coming, coming to take over. Um, yeah. I, I didn't even realize that you had brought that to the industry because I had seen that before and I, and I thought that was incredible. Did you, so you, you gave that away with every single membership you gave one of those. Yeah. And there was, in fact, there was a company out there, Nick, it was a baby company. They were called my zone. Okay. And there's their business was heart rate monitors. I didn't go to polar. I didn't go. I, I I didn't go to some of these large, um, b big brands because in many cases those big brands, it, it's they just they're so complacent. They're so, they're so lethargic. They're not. I mean, trying to get them to pivot in their business model is it's like trying to it's like trying to turn around an, an airplane carrier. You know, they're just slow. So slow. It doesn't make them bad or inefficient. It just sometimes they just move at such a slow pace. So I found this company that was very forward thinking in their mind. They were called my zone and I was their biggest customer. I actually put them on the map. In fact, I committed to, I committed to a million dollars of product for those guys, which gave them the cash flow to further develop the product. So I was, I was, they'll tell you that the owners will tell you, uh, Dave and Emmett, they'll tell you that I was, I, I was the life ring for their company. I gave them capital early on so they could further develop and evolve the product to what, to what it is today. And today, they're one of the best heart rate companies on the planet. That, that's incredible, is the ability to be forward thinking and be able to pivot fast. Because there, there's a lot of you know, whales out there to where you know, they, yeah. everybody, everybody started out as a shark. Everybody was hungry. And then you eat so much, it takes a long time to turn around. We were just we're looking at doing a, um, a big deal with Herbalife. And 
just to just to get them to adopt our software, even though they love it, they said it's going to take about three years, three years to adopt software that a company, uh, another company could uh, use and adopt overnight. And not that that's anything wrong, because you got to go through so many cybersecurity checks, there's just so much to do, versus yeah. another company can look at look at a, a new technology, say, Hey, I'm going to adopt this and be able to, to go faster. Cause I, I believe that we're in, we're in cycles and, and life is getting so much faster. What it took, you know, how long it took to make a million dollars 20 years ago is totally different than it is, than it is today. Yeah. I, I love it. You're exactly right. And, and that's, you know, being innovative and pioneer and all those things and committing yourself to excellence and to, I guess the biggest part is you're going to commit yourself to excellence, but the other side of it is just also making a commitment to remaining relevant. And, and in the health and wellness space, that is a mouthful because the industry changes all the time. And it's, there's so many unique personalities out there. And sometimes uh, the industry might pivot a little bit towards a personality um, when there really is not sustainability in the direction that it's going. We see that happen periodically with different gadgets and exercise machines and whatnot. But I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's just a matter of staying relevant with the consumer's expectations. And they'll tell you when you're right and they'll tell you when you're wrong. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, and I think that the people who, who do it the best are the people who create, create communities, just like we're talking about Supreme. What, I just looked at uh, Peloton's worth $8 billion. I never, I never would have believed it. And I'm a, I'm a very forward-thinking person to where a lot of times I have, I have big ideas that, you know, that other people don't see, but I didn't see it in Peloton to be worth eight, $8 billion just by c- creating a community. It's like so many other people were doing it before. How many, how many other companies made exercise bikes? Yeah. And you know what? To be honest with you, Nick, they, you know, Peloton suffered for years years okay it took them a long time to get it right all right so um and and i say this all the time even in the gym space today pick your pick your health club it doesn't matter the industry today it's not about heavier weights and faster treadmills it's about community and culture within the four walls that you can create so what peloton did that was ingenious number one first of all peloton with with, without a superior bike without a product that, that actually works and is dependable and, and gives you a great riding experience. Without that, the product, the, the whole concept is dead in water. So they spent the money on, on a great bike and the bike has become, you know, the poster child of how other people gravitate. The, the, it's the bike that people want to become. That's the bike piece of it. But then the whole backside of it is what we talked about, creating that culture, creating that community. And, and the beautiful part is they've created a virtual community so I can get on my Peloton bike in my living room and feel like I'm working out with 20 of my best friends. That's, that's the beauty of what they have. And it's not a cheap product, the monthly subscription and all, all of that. Look, it's not, it's, it's not like it's you know, $2.99 a month, $2.99. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a legit membership fee. Yeah, no, it's, now let me, let me ask you this. Let me plug in my, make sure I plug in my computer real quick so it doesn't, uh, it doesn't die. Um, with with that being said, there's I just I was just looking at something today where they're literally selling land online. Um, there was a it was a, somebody bought a six by six plot of land online for seventy six thousand um, dollars. With with the way that that new technology is going, when when you started Snap, it even though it wasn't a new idea, you did it you did it differently. What advice do you have to people out there? 
who are, because a lot of times as a young entrepreneur, we're looking up to a lot of these, these, these older guys, right? One of my, one of my mentors is um, Jack Kraft and he worked, um, he was a CEO, COO at, um, oh my, Leo Burnett, the, the big, the big firm, Leo Burnett came up with the Marlboro man, um, Toucan Sam, Snap, Crackle and Pop. And so he's, he's, he's 80, he's 86 and he gives me a lot of, a lot of good wisdom, but he also doesn't understand the new age and the new technology of, of, of things that, that we're going in. So there, there really is a disconnect between, um, and maybe, maybe it's always been like that, but there's a disconnect between the people who have done it and the people who are coming, who are coming up now to where there's not as many people in the middle, I feel like, where is still relevant like, like you. So what advice would you give to people who, who do have a new idea and to find, to find that right mentor? I think the, it's very, very important that uh, if, you're coming, if you're coming to a market with a product that already exists, take, take Snap Fitness as an example. There was no shortage of health clubs out there, and there was no shortage of 24-hour health clubs in the market space. So for me, I did not want to come into the market with just, and just be another me too. I wanted to thin myself from the herd, which is a good thing in this context. I want to separate myself from the masses and say, look, here I am, I'm different, and here's why. So my battle cry in the marketplace when I launched my brand was, yes, I'm 24-hour. I needed to establish that so people knew that they weren't going to take a step back in the quality of their exercise experience. I said, look, I'm, I'm 24 hours. I'm going to have a, a great equipment in my facility. So lots of cardio, lots of strength, lots of selectorized equipment. That, that's, that's a given. But the other components that I'm not going to have is I'm not going to tie you to a contract. That was my, that was my first thing. I said, I'm 24 hour, I've got great equipment. Uh, you belong to one, you belong to them all and no contract. So what I did is I wanted to alleviate objections from the consumer because I told the consumer, look, come try my facility. If, if, if I fail you, if I don't deliver on my promise to you, what's the worst thing can happen? And they sit and they ponder it. It's not a trick question. And then I answer it for them. I say, you just quit. And in many cases, when people walk into my doors, I tell them, look, Here's a free two week pass. Come and try my facility for free. Give me the opportunity to earn your business, earn your trust. Because I knew where I was in the marketplace. Most of the people that walked into my club, they already had a membership to someplace else. So I not only have to sell them on how great my product is, but I got to get them to quit the other club. Do you follow me? Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, the only way I could do that was by literally leading with my heart and saying, look, I'm going to work hard for you and I'm committed to help you reach your wellness goals. And I, so as, as you look, sit back and look at all of your listeners, it's so important that if you're going to go to market or if you're going to go to market and there's a lot of it already there, don't get discouraged about it. Just make sure that you take two steps back. You look at the entire competitive landscape and make sure you're going to market that carries everything that they have and more. Because what's going what's to earn you the business of the consumer is that they're not taking a step back in the quality or the customer experience. They're getting more value for their dollar. No, that's, that's and there's a, couple, there's a couple pathways that I want to go down with that because that's not, a, that's not something that you typically hear in business, which is 
which is the which is what you just said. A lot of times, is how, how do we squeeze every single you know dime out of the, the customer with with giving the least amount? And I and I believe that the way that you do anything is the way that you do everything. So your success in Snap Fitness didn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you took that same heart and that same motivation. You were going to have the exact same success. Um, I mean, I I read your story a little bit going back to eight years old selling selling popcorn. Um, is that when you develop that, that mindset? Cause you, you really are touching on some biblical principles of giving, giving first, which is that's, that's what my company's name, 638 solutions based off of given, it shall be given unto you towards, Hey, we're always going to lead with value first in, in giving them. When, when did you develop that? Starting, I mean, selling popcorn for my father as a child was literally just my first experience of being what I felt was being in business. And I mean, at eight years old, let's just be real. You, you, you're just trying to figure everything out. Everything is a new experience. You're just, you're just a sponge. The one, yeah, the piece, of, the piece of it that was worthy is, is that sometimes being in business can be uncomfortable. And my father made sure that I experienced that level of uncomfortableness. I mean, one of, uh, you, you've probably heard this before, but I'll share very quickly. I remember one day my father, it's a Saturday, I'm, I'm selling popcorn like I did every week. And my father walks past my popcorn stand. He gets about 30 feet past me. He looks over his shoulder, he stops, he's looking right at me, and he walks back to me. Now, from, from, as an eight-year-old, I'm thinking, what did I do, right? Because I was a young, rambunctious kid, and, uh, and he says, how are sales? And I, and I tried to give him my eight-year-old dissertation, how sales were slow, and he stops me about five words into it, and he says, hey, son, it's slow because you've got to get out from behind that desk. You've got to go you got to go get your business. You got to go make things happen. You can't watch things happen. And that, that mindset resonated with me that, that you got to go make things happen. Those are powerful words. If in fact you're listening. Now the punchline here is at eight years old, I was a very shy kid. So for me to get behind that counter and go and up to a complete stranger and pull on their shirt, cause I'm just this little kid, pull on their shirt sleeve and say, would you like some popcorn? I just made it. It's really good. And I'm, I'm trying to give them my hard pitch, you know, from a narrative of an eight-year-old. And, you know, it probably was so stinking cute that they probably just felt compelled that they had to come back and give me a quarter to buy some popcorn, right? Yeah. Hey, look, whatever the, whatever the reasoning was to follow me back to the popcorn stand, it didn't matter because the end result was what I was looking for. But what is equally as important here, it was very, very uncomfortable. Now, as I did it over time, it became a normal practice for me, okay, a normal practice. So that's the other part of it. Hey, look, business, it's not always easy. In fact, in most cases, it's difficult. It's, it's uh, um, you know, you, you've got to overcome a lot of fear, and, uh, but, but it's very rewarding if you can hang in there. No, you, you, you've either got reasons or you've got results. And, you know, it's, it's so funny how, how working out really is so much a lot like anything in life to where, you know, for a lot of times the, it, it is uncomfortable, but you can see how much dedication everybody has by, you know, their results and how they, how they look in the gym. It doesn't matter what yes. excuses they said, or, uh, you know, I put in a, you know, I've been working out a, a ton. Like you're going to, you're going to be able to tell um, from those, from those results. And so many people, it, it's not that they, they fall in love with the outcome versus falling in love with the, with the process. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it does, it, it's like learning to write with your opposite hand. It's awkward at first, but over time you can do it. Yeah, no, it's exactly right. And 
it's no coincidence that athletes uh, in many cases transition very well into business. And I talk about this often when I'm talking to people uh, consulting or, or trying to help people who feel stuck in their lives, but there's no coincidence that there's two words that are very, very important that, that, that are going to carry a lot of merit as it re relates to success. And that is discipline and accountability, discipline and accountability, because without, without discipline, you, you can't hold yourself accountable. Okay. I mean, they work hand in hand. I've got to, I've got to have, I've got to hold myself accountable for whatever those goals are, whatever the objectives are in my life. And that works in business. That works in my personal, personal life. It's the context is how do I want to show up every day? How do I want to show up in life for my employees, for my family, my friends, my business, and all of those things require discipline and accountability. Now here's where it gets tricky. If you, when you set out, and I always ask people, what is your goal? What does that North Star look like for you when you're setting that goal way out there? Because it's gotta be out there. What is it? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Whatever it is, identify what it is, and then create milestones along the way. Because without seeing progress, you become discouraged, okay? However, when you see progress, it becomes motivating for you, right? So anyway, I, I tell people, put these, put these benchmarks in place for yourself so you don't become discouraged and quit. But when you have those moments, when you compromise, another big word as it relates to success, you compromise from what you set out what, that you were going to hold yourself accountable to. So essentially, essentially, you've lowered the bar of your expectations as to how you want to hold yourself accountable. Here's the slippery slope. Once you lower that bar, that now becomes the new threshold of where you're willing to compromise. And that'll, that'll carry through in your entire life, right? So it's important. You almost have to have this Navy SEAL mentality about discipline and accountability and what are your non-negotiables. Don't, don't waver from your non-negotiables. Obviously, sometimes you have to if we're talking about your health or your family. Hey, look, let's be reasonable about it. But, but not getting out of bed in the morning and doing your workout when that was one of your non-negotiables, that to me, that's going to that's gonna harbor a lot of problems down the road if you cave that easily. Now, I, what it really does go back to is just the way that you do anything is the way that you do everything. Because if you're willing to, if you're willing to lie to yourself, it's like, what else are you willing to, to lie about? And if it gets hard for something that you set out to do, well, you know, in business, so maybe it's not working out. Maybe it's in business or something else. When it gets hard, it's like, what are you, are you gonna, are you gonna quit? Or are you gonna do what you you said you were gonna do? Yeah, you're exactly right. When I when I'm consulting, one of the one of the biggest um, challenges that I see in people that feel stuck, and it's so sad to me, but it's it's literally the image, the image that people have of themselves, and the attitude that they choose to wake up with, because attitude is the one thing that we control. We all control it. And it's just, you know what, I don't know at some point in some people's lives, we're in that process of life in general, which you know what, life, let's face it. It's not always easy. It's not kittens, balloons, and butterflies, right? It's some days it's freaking hard work and gut-wrenching and demoralizing in so many different ways. And I just tell people, look, just get up and put your best foot forward. But the one thing you can control is your attitude and your effort. So as long as you're putting forth 100% and you can look at yourself in the mirror every day and say, look, I am going to go get it today. To my point earlier, I'm going to go make things happen. I'm not going to hope 
and, and watch for things to happen, I'm going to make it happen. So when you get up with that mindset, that mindset of a lion as opposed to a sheep, it's going to pay dividends for, for you for the long run. But you have to have perspective and patience. That's another couple of big words, right? A lot of people, they lack patience. Why? Because they don't have perspective on the timeline or the effort that's required to get to what they're looking for. Some people, they set these, these huge monumental goals in their lives, which are noble and I respect, but then, they, but then they lack perspective. They think it should happen in a year or two when I tell them, look, I'm living proof of it. I've been in the health and fitness space for 35 years. I chased my dream for 20 years before I started getting real traction. It really is an epidemic. I call him the, uh, you ever watch Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, call, I call him the, the Uncle Ricos of the world to where they would, they would be a, a superstar if, it, if coach would have just put me in. And what it does, it gives us the ability to always put the excuse and the blame on somebody else. And we've been doing it since, since like the beginning of time. You look at Adam and Eve, right? When God's like, hey, Adam, did you do this? He's like, well, hey, listen, it wasn't me. Uh, it's the woman that you gave me putting the excuse on somebody else is if we will take ownership for our lives that I, I believe that's when it all changed where it's like, for me, it's like, I refuse to concede to any other outcome besides that, which, which I desire. And yeah. if we would just, I, I wonder how much humanity would be different if Adam would have just been like, listen, God, like, you know, I messed up, like, I'm sorry, what can we do from here versus putting the blame on somebody else? Because I really do believe that we are created to be creators and that we really can define our own lives. But society, when we put our labels on ourselves, whether, you know, somebody labels themselves as black, whether somebody labels themselves as white, um, LGBTQ, when you label yourself, there's also comes with, well, here's all, here's all the problems that come with this label to where I'm not where I'm at because of all of these other issues versus saying like, Hey, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing in the world. I'm going to go out and create and shape my own destiny. But that comes with a lot of responsibility. You know what? That's a, what you just said there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of gold in what you just said. And, and at the end of the day, when, when I'm speaking to people and, and they're trying to pivot in their life in general, and in many cases, I ask them, let's talk about your past. We can't change it, but I want to have context. Tell me context about your life and don't leave anything out. Be, be vulnerable, be real, be raw. I want to hear about it. So we go through that process and, and sometimes that's really, it's really heartfelt. It's really difficult for people, men and women to own their past, but then, and here's where the magic starts. You, you, you get through that and you, you're not harboring any ill will. So forgiveness. It's a big part of success moving forward. We've got, to, we've got to establish a new ground zero for people. So you establish a line and you say, look, that person in the past doesn't exist anymore. You have to own it and you have to hold yourself accountable for what you did, but don't harbor any guilt. Anyone that you have ill will for, you need to go back, you need to apologize, you need to make amends. It's not that you're, that you're gonna be best friends with them, but you need to get it off your shoulders so we can turn and pivot towards what the new you is going to look like. And there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be doubters. Don't worry about that because there are certain things that you can't control. And that is other people's opinion of you. You know who you are within the pit of your soul. It's not who you were. It's who you intend to be moving forward. And it's not that you won't trip along the way because we're all flawed. 
every one of us, but it's intent. We intend to move forward on a good path. And what does that mean? We're going to hold ourselves accountable and we're going to practice great leadership, which means anytime that I look to my left or right and I feel like I can give someone a leg up, I can give someone perspective and insight that's going to help better them without anything in return. Now you're moving in the right direction. No, that's and it. And really is at the end of it. It's what did you, what did you intend to do? Right. If somebody, if somebody kills somebody, if it was premeditated, you're going to get a lot longer in jail uh, for yes. premeditated intention versus something that's an accident. So it's like casual about life. You're going to become a casualty to where it's like, what are you intending to do? When people, when people come to you with, you know, when they want coaching and, hey, how do, I, how do I solve this problem? How easy is it for you to, to look at their life and just say, hey, there's some simple fixes that if we just do this, it's, it's all going to be better. But to them, it, it almost seems like insurmountable, like they can't even climb that mountain. Well, in most cases, I have to strip away, I have to strip away what's holding them back. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest part of it because there are certain, there are certain things certain qualities that people have in their personality through, through uh, you know, a, an extended period of time of circumstances. And one is self-doubt. Okay, you can't move forward. You can't believe in yourself if every time you turn around, you're doubting yourself. You're doubting your abilities. So I always tell people, look, we, we need to get to a place where, where we are letting go of all of those less than feelings that we have for ourselves or others around us. It's like I mentioned earlier about attitude. Attitude is the one thing we control and you can't get to the promised land of wherever it is you're looking to go without having some level of gratitude and grace for the life that you have in this moment. And you can, you control it, you know, it's, and, and it's, it's so important. So obviously the image they have, and then from there we talk about confidence and, and people's, I'm amazed at how many people have this fear of failure. And I tell people, look, honestly, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. And what I mean by that is failure is where all the gold resides. That's where all the lessons of life or of the situation reside. So you have to be able to, you can't have this fear of failure um, because that'll kill every dream you have because nobody wants to move into something. Nobody wants to move towards something with the intent of failing. Okay, no one likes that. And so you just gotta, you've gotta work on your image. You, you've got to work on your confidence and you've got to have the courage to press forward. And then from there, it goes right back to what we spoke about earlier. You need to have, you need to set up benchmarks. You need to have milestones. You need to, you need to have discipline and you need to hold yourself accountable. If you don't have those components in your journey, it's just, you're just, it's not sustainable because you're going to succumb to when things get uncomfortable, you're going to succumb to the path of least resistance, which is do nothing. No, that, that, that's huge. And, you know, being, and that's really what this whole podcast is about is right. Is ego, ego list, less ego towards our ego. Ego really does get in the way because our fear of, of what people, what people think I've got a, uh, a, a 17 month old son and a, a now um, two, two month old son. And so we take him to this, this uh, like this jungle gym. That's kind of like a, a little kid ninja warrior. And he, he's going in there like, he's having so much fun. He's falling all over the place. He's smashing his face. He's tripping on everything. And he's, he's making, you know, if that was an adult, they'd be like, man, this guy's making a fool of himself. But all the parents kept saying, it's like, wow, he's so fearless. He's so fearless towards he's going out there and he's falling. He's getting right back up and just keep running. At yeah. what point do you feel like we lose that? Because that is failure is the necessity for, for growth. 
Um, at what point do we lose that as a, a growth mechanism in our, in our lives? It's, you know what? I think you said it, ego, pride, um, embarrassment, those things, those are all things that, that I don't think that people like to experience. I don't believe anyone likes the experience of feeling embarrassed or, or, or foolish. Um, and, and especially the higher, the better, the, the larger the images of themselves, those things become a higher barrier to, to, to limit them towards ch chasing their dreams. So, you know, I, I always tell people, look, don't take yourself so seriously. Number one, learn to laugh a little bit. And most importantly, learn to laugh at yourself. It's not that big a deal. Life isn't meant to be this huge burden, the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's not how God intended us to live. So number one, chill, go easy on yourself. Number two, don't be so prideful. Don't let your ego get in the way because pride and ego is what gets in the way and sometimes um, prompts you to say things that you don't actually mean, you know, whether it be in your relationships to employees. And, and sometimes you just got to allow yourself to be vulnerable, be human and say, look, I made a mistake or this makes me feel uncomfortable. This is what I'm feeling right now. You just got to be vulnerable with people and you're, you'll be surprised at how much easier life gets when you just keep it real. No, and, I, and when, you, when you keep it real, then you never have anything to worry about. And, you know, going back, we talked about worrying about people's um, perception of you to where you're their opinion. We should never let people's opinion of us become our, um, our reality or identity because you look at it now with so many of the, so many of the stars, right? The big influencers of the world. If, if they don't, because of, because of their, the platform and their fame, if they don't have their political beliefs a certain way, or if they don't say things a certain way, a lot of times those people get that fame yanked away from them to where they almost feel that it's people's opinion of them becomes a, a trap to where it's like, we have all these romantic ideas. We, we romanticize all these, you know, actors and movie stars and we have this opinion about them, but that's not even, that's not reality to where I almost feel like for a lot of people, it almost becomes a, uh, like chains almost like keeping you down because you have to act in this certain way, even though you know, it's not who you really are. It's a, it's a slippery slope. I mean, for me, just the, the point that you're making just resonates. I mean, for me, I used to have this fear of public speaking and the public, uh, the fear of public speaking for me was manifested within. I was my own worst enemy because I felt like, I've accomplished so much in my life on the business scale that when I get up to public speak, that people are expecting this amazing, I had a dream speech, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is looking, I put this expectation on myself that I got to give this flawless, you know, dissertation or, or, or uh, note. Um, and I've, I've come to realize through people that are very, very good at public speaking, they say, look, um, you don't have to just, you know, you don't think that you got to get up there and give the flaw of the speech. Don't think about the words, just let it flow in your subconscious. And, and it's not that it's always going to be perfect, but it's going to be real and it's going to be you. And it's your thoughts as you're up there talking. And that's what people want. So just by me changing my mindset, which is very, very important, it makes the public speaking experience so much more enjoyable for me because I can just go up there and be myself. And, and it's not about me anymore. In fact, I, I always say I'm the, I'm the least important person in the room when I'm public speaking, because my job or my goal is to share with you my life experiences to where you can take away some of that experience 
in, in a way that gives you that now gives you perspective in some situation that you may be in. No, that's, that's huge. I mean, even to go, you know, cause most of the times people, people will look up to a, you know, a, a leader of an organization. So they've had, they've had success. And then it's almost like that. We feel like that person has success in everything that they do, that everything is just easy. So to, to hear you be able to say that to where it's like, Hey, I struggled with this, even though I built this big company, it was a, you know, it was a pivot to really, what really goes to show is that it doesn't matter how much money that we make. It matters that we're continuously growing. And when you get into a, um, something that's new, that's not a part of what you've been doing, it, it is going to be a, it's going to be a learning curve. It's going to be awkward. Awkward and, and, and at times uncomfortable. And for me, I didn't let that, that, that uncomfortableness, I could have easily said, I'm not going to do any speaking anymore. And honestly, I did a lot of speaking and there were times that I was just literally unbelievably so nervous, just, just, you know, almost panic attack, just bad, right? Where I could barely, barely say a sentence. I was thinking, I was thinking of the words as they were coming out of my mouth. So it's like I was hearing myself speak, if you could imagine that. Yeah. It was surreal to me. It was absolutely surreal. It was the most unpleasant, nerve-wracking experience I would put myself through. And it wasn't, it was finally through time that a friend of mine just gave me a perspective on public speaking that that just kind of settled that emotion down for me to say, look, it's not about me at all. It's really about just conveying a message to people, sharing a story that that hopefully helps them gain perspective. It, it, that's huge to to see that just one, like nothing changed, right? The exact same. It's it's the audience, same you know, same speech. Nothing changed except the perception of yourself. There is like really, it, it, the human mind really is a, is amazing because everything does stem off of how you how you perceive it. And yeah. when, so, did you sell? Did you? I don't know if I couldn't tell if you if you sold or if you had retired from um, Snap Fitness. Was it two years ago? Yeah, what I've done, so I started the company 15 years ago. Um, and, and this is an important lesson as for any of your entrepreneur listeners out there. I, I talk about it often. A lot of times uh, people come to me, they're building a company, and I help them strategize on what does their exit look like. So for me, I started the company 15 years ago. Five years into the company, I, I, and I, I knew that I had a product that was working. It resonated with the public. So I knew I had lightning in a bottle. So I seized the moment. Um, I doubled down in every chance that I could. And in five years, I built a company from an idea to a $100 million company. Now, a $100 million company, as an entrepreneur, I owed it to myself to take some chips off the table. So I sold 40% of my company for about $47 million. So I did, there was no debt put against the company. That $47 million went directly to me, and, and I still had control of my company. I still ran it and grew it. So I grew the company from doing $5 million of EBITDA. Over the next five years, it went to $20 million of EBITDA. So I grew the company 4X, sold another about 30% of the company for about the same amount, okay? So now I gave up controlling interest of the company, I ran the company an additional five years. So today I still own about 20% of the company. Um, and I stepped down as the active day-to-day -day CEO uh, about a year and a half ago. So I'm still on the board um, and I'm still, I still keep close communication with the CEO, with my successor, but uh, I'm not making the day-to-day -day decisions anymore. 
Well, and that's, that's the reason why I, want, I wanted to ask that. My buddy, um, Jeff Duden, he's on, he was on Undercover Boss, and he's in um, the franchising as well. Um, he sold his company about two years ago. But he's now entered this, this space as well where it comes to, hey, you know, what, basically what do you do after you sell something so big that's, something, that's such a big part of your life? And I never believe in really what's next. I only believe in like what's now. So what, it, what is now for, for you? Because when you think about how much of that, I mean, it, it's almost like a relationship where you have so much of your life into a your relationship and then you no longer have it anymore. Like I'm, I'm, I'm divorced. I'm 28. I was divorced uh, three years ago. And it's, it's weird to look back and think that, you know, that in, when we sell a business, not that it's a divorce, but it is a separation to where it's like, what is, yes. what is now for, for you? Yeah. It's, you know, that's a, it's a legit question that you're asking for me. Think about it. I was in the health and wellness space for 35 years, 20 years was, was building another brand. And then 15 years I, I, I started snap fitness um, so for what I had done my entire life, I essentially walked away from it. So in, on one sense, it felt like everyone was going to school and I was staying at home because I was accustomed. My management and my leadership style was that I was, I went to work every morning early and stayed late. So that was my style. And I was involved within every department of my company because I'm not the kind of guy that can be an absentee owner uh, and, and still be thinking I'm going to make the critical decisions of the company. So that part of it w w was very different. And on a, honestly, it probably took me six, six months to, to step away from or to really get comfortable with that mindset. But fortunately for me, over the last five years of, of, of being involved in the company, I have a lot of diversity. So I'm involved a lot in real estate. Um, I, own a, I own a lodge, a five-star lodge in the Serengeti. Uh, which brings me a lot of joy. I have a, a music festival that takes place in Minnesota every summer. It's a three-day music festival, which is a lot of fun for me. I do a benefit concert at my lake home up in Minnesota um, during the summer as well. Um, and I own part of a factory that creates biodegradable pellets that go into injection molding for uh, bio, biodegradable, you name it. Um, plants, glasses, you, you name it. So everything that I do today with my life, it has a specific purpose. It's, it's things that bring me joy, that bring a smile to my face, and they bring a smile to others' face. So um, I hold the accountability owning that plant and creating biodegradable products. I think that's my little stake in the sand saying, look, I'm going to try to make a difference in the world. I'm going to try to help Mother Nature where I can to get away from all of these oil-based plastics that are going to sit in our landfills for the next thousand years. So but that's what I focus on. And then the other side of it is living my life with intent and with purpose and, and with joy. You know, I, I can honestly tell you, I don't not like anyone on the planet. Okay. I don't, I can't think of any person that I don't like them. Um, I, I wake up every day happy and I try to see, I try to find the best in everyone. Now, with that said, I'm still very driven and motivated. The word retirement is, is a, a word that I refuse to use. I always say, I'm not retired. I have no intention of retiring. I'm simply transitioning into my next thing, whatever that, whatever that is. But I wake up every day with purpose, which is absolutely critical to get up with purpose and with fire to, to, to make a difference in, in, in every, every place that I can. And, you know, that's, I think, is one of the, I think that's one of the biggest differences. And I know I'll, I'll say it again, who you are is so much more important than, than what you do, because 
when so many other people retire, living in Naples, like, I mean, there's, it's, there's so much money in Naples, just like, just like Miami to where these people are, are wealthy. But a lot of times these people aren't happy after they sold their company because they found their identity in the company and the company's success. Hey, I'm a manager, I'm a CEO. And when that's no long, when that's no longer there, they have no idea who, who they are where there's very few people who can sell their company and be in the position that, that you are in to where it's like you have, you have purpose because so many times we find, we find that identity in, in, in what, we, what we do. So just to hear you say yes. that's absolutely incredible. No, it is. And, and you know what? It's, it's, a choice. it's a choice that we get to make. Just like as CEOs, how we, um, made, we, we made decisions on how we were going to roll every day. I mean, we, as a CEO, a lot of times we can control our environment that we live in, right? There are some days, I mean, for the most part, some days we're a cruise director, some days we're a firefighter. And, and th- that excitement is what, is what lights our fire every day that we get to we get to be in the middle of those of those situations where we get to make critical decisions and we thrive for that. So step away from that. We have to find our new purpose on what that is. I think it's really dangerous. And you see this a lot with people stepping away from companies where they don't find their next purpose. So you have to find something. It gets right back to passion. What am I passionate about? And for me, I'm passionate about helping others. I'm passionate about sharing my story and the reason I'm passionate about that is I believe that my story is fairly unique, meaning that I went to school in a two-room schoolhouse, okay? I went to school in a two-room schoolhouse. I'm the youngest of seven kids. I quit college my junior year and went into business for myself, turning around a failing health club that was losing $200,000 a year. So if you just take that narrative right there and ask the general public, what are the chances of that guy succeeding in anything? Okay. Two-room schoolhouse, that means he grew up in a small rural town, probably fairly sheltered. Not to make matters worse, what does he do? He goes to college and what does he do? He quits. Okay. So he's a quitter. And, and then the third thing, he somehow finds a way to get an opportunity to try to turn around a failing health club that, by the way, is losing $200,000 a year. You would give that person I mean, if you had to bet the over and under, you'd give them a 1% chance of succeeding, right? Uh, yeah, at the most. At the most. But what you, don't, what you don't underestimate or what never underestimate, never underestimate the desperate heart of a lion. And for me, I had an opportunity and I recognized what my opportunity was. I recognized that by, failing, by, by turning around this failing health club, it was going to afford me the ability to get equity in the business based on the profits that it generated. That was the deal they gave me. If you can turn this club around, Peter, you can buy us out with the profits. So for me, I had no plan B. So I'm, I'm running this business on a level of paranoia that if this doesn't work, I have nowhere else to turn. And it's in that desperation that you find fire. And that's not a bad thing. Hey, look, running a business through desperation, is it ideal? No, it's not, but you know what? desperation can somehow breed opportunity if you're willing to put in the work. And that's what I did. Now, had you told me back then that I was going to build one of the largest wellness brands in the world, I would have told you you're out of your mind. Okay. Now in hindsight, if you had asked me, Peter, do you think you're capable of building one of the largest wellness brands in the world? I would have said yes. 
Why? Because I believed in myself. And that's the person, I tell you what, it doesn't matter who else believes in you. If you can look in the mirror and believe, believe in yourself, believe in that person in the mirror, you've got a chance at greatness. But without it, you're dead. No, that's, I mean, that, that's what I love about your story. And we kind of have, we have a little bit similar ones. I don't know how small the town was that you, uh, that you grew up in, but by the time that I graduated, my dad was a pastor. So we move around to all these transitioning churches. And we spent the last three years in a town called Kit Carson, Colorado, where there's 200 people and half a gas station. I always tell people I graduated top three in my class because there was only three people there. You know, hearing, hearing about your fitness story, when I, cause I was homeless at, at 20 years old and I cleaned Planet Fitness at night from 10 o'clock at night to five o'clock in the morning. Um, cleaning Planet Fitness, able to sleep there and shower there. But my question to you is, is how, how old were those guys that, uh, that owned the, the fitness club that you, that you were at when you were 22? They were, they were in their 50s. They were in their 50s. You know what I, what I applaud those men for? I applaud those guys because they had a business that was failing, but it was, it was part of our community. The community was about 13,000, 14,000 people um, set out in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. And these guys, they knew that that health club was a, was, was contributed to our community that we lived in. So these five owners were willing to feed this thing. Literally every one of them, there was five of them having to throw in 40,000 a year just to keep the lights on. And they did that for years. So I applaud them for, for, you know, being noble and having the courage and, and to, 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 it was a passion project to that business over a long Most people would have just, just said, screw it and thrown in the towel and said, we're done. But what I want to know is because I mean, I, I always love, love people like that where they keep it's, it's a passion project, to keep things going. But why did they give, why did they give an opportunity to, to a 22 year old kid? Because I think there's a lot of 22 year old kids that don't feel like they are empowered or, you know, they didn't go to college, but why did they give you that opportunity? So when I was 13 years old, I, I, I picked up a racquetball racket. This, this particular health club had racquetball courts in it. So when I was 13, prior to 13, I played football, baseball, basketball, the typical sports that kids played back then. Um, but 13, I picked up a racquetball racket. And racquetball happened to have been a sport that for some reason, um, it just, it was a natural fit for me. I can't explain why. And I always think, you know, I've had divine intervention throughout my life so many times. And I think that was divine intervention because it put me in an environment to where I was playing racquetball. I was playing racquetball every day. And I did that for, you know, I, I was almost, almost, boy, almost 20 years. Now, after picking up a racket for the first time at 13, I became a, a touring pro by the time I was 18. So I accelerated in that sport very, very quickly by being a sponsored pro afforded me the ability to travel around the country and see a lot of different health clubs and how they were ran. So by spending so much time in that club and knowing that that club was failing and getting to know the owners, um, I, before, I was getting ready to move to Orlando, Florida, about 21 years old at the time. And I had breakfast with the owners of the club. And I just told the guys, look, because I was moving to Orlando and I didn't think that I would be coming back, even though it was my hometown. But I, I told the owners, look, I feel like I have to tell you this. The, the, the man that you have running this business, he's not the person that's going to turn this business around. I know that you're failing in the business and I'm going to tell you why, because you've got a manager 
He's not engaged with the staff. He's not engaged with his, with the membership base. He's not engaged with the community. He just takes no ownership. He takes no pride. And leadership starts at the top. So I'm just telling you, what you've been doing is not working. And if you keep doing the same thing, you're gonna get the same result. So I just felt like I need to share that with you guys. And I was literally gonna be getting from that breakfast, hopping in my car and driving to Orlando, Florida. And as I'm walking to the car, I turn over my shoulder and I say to the owners, hey, by the way, guys, if you ever wanna turn this club around, give me a call. It was literally just like that. I didn't sit down and say, guys, I wanna have this breakfast meeting with you because I'd like to run this club. It was not that. I had the breakfast meeting with these guys to be informative to them, to tell them from my perspective, because I was in that club four to five hours a day, five to six days a week. I knew that club inside and out. So anyway, had I not looked over my shoulder and said that to them, I don't know that my phone would ring a year later saying, hey, Peter, we're going to give you a shot. Okay, I don't know. It's incredible, man, because you, you really do look at it and you can look at, you know, things that you've done to where it's okay. You, when you picked up, you know, you found success in racquetball when there's not too many, there's not too many 13-year-old kids picking up a, a racquetball racket. I'm not saying the competition was less, but you went a different route with how many kids are trying out for baseball or basketball and you've got to have certain genetic dispositions to be there. I went to go try to play juco ball and it was just, it was just, the athleticism is just so insane of how many people are trying out. It's like, okay, I'm going to become a pro at racquetball. Then you're going to take a, uh, a fitness and say, Hey, I'm going to go into a, a different niche. And because you, you did that, you operated with such excellence that you, that you blew up to where you really did go down a, a different path than everybody else was following. So I think it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's just, you know, one and it just worked out. I, I enjoyed it. My twin brother did the same thing. I mean, we, we both played that sport at a very, very high level and we just enjoyed it. And it opened up so many doors for us and opportunities, my health club being, being one of those opportunities. So I'm forever grateful for however it came about. You know, I like to believe that it was divine intervention and, uh, and, and, that, and that's the narrative of my life. I've had so many things that had I not done this, then that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, if, if this, then that. And, you know, you can just call it luck or you can call it fate. And, you know, I tend to gravitate towards the latter. Yeah, and I, and I think and ended on this because I know we're coming up on, on an hour. It's, it really is who you are. And that's why life gives you those, those opportunities. Like when you're the right person, I think that life is looking for people to give opportunities to. And when you're the right person, um, sometimes you find those in just regular every day to where it's, you know, we all think that it's going to be, we're going to find an opportunity in some special moment, or it's going to be like a movie, but it's just something, hey, a lot of times we just find that in the regular day to where when, if you're doing the right thing here on, on something small, something bigger is going to come, come along. Yeah. We talk about it all the time just how do you want to show up in life? And that's a, that's a mouthful. That's a big question to ask yourself because hopefully when you're asking yourself that question, you, you're going to follow up with discipline and accountability like we spoke about earlier. And for me, so I've lived this amazing life running a great company, building a, this huge brand that I'm forever grateful for and all these great life experiences. So as I sit here now and I pivot towards the next 50 years of my life, I'm absolutely committed to doing things just like this. I'm committed to sharing my story and, and, and in hopes that I can, I can um, 
provide nuggets of gold to people that are on their own journey to either financial success or business success or just success within themselves. How do I, how can you pivot? How can you overcome all odds and, 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 and persevere and come out the other side, you know, intact and, and, and feeling good about yourself? So for me, it's all about my message, my story, and how can I share that with people to where I can help point them in the right direction so they can make the impossible possible. That's right. They're, Cause they're going to be able to take bits and pieces of your life and, and put themselves in and say, hey, what, you know, what would I have done? And, yeah. you know, they can really take it and say, Hey, if I just, if I just model what Peter did, um, you can get that, you can get the exact same outcome. I always tell people, you know, a lot of times when I'm on the treadmill, I don't feel like being on the treadmill, but I'm still burning those calories, whether I feel like it or not, it's the exact same calories. Right. So the outcome, the outcome is always the same. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's just, you know, and, and I always say, I always love talking to people who have been down a path that I haven't been. And I, I respect their opinion because they have perspective. They have perspective of what a given outcome can be under given circumstances. And I, I think it's important to, to be able to articulate your life experiences in a way where some people can look at that and say, you know what, I'm going through something similar. I need to take that information in and, and make sure that I'm cautious that what happened through his life doesn't happen to me. Because look, it's not that we need to be definitely afraid of adversity and difficult times because that's part of winning, but just having the courage to understand that sometimes what we go through, it's a natural course of the process. And that's not always a bad thing. No, that's, that's huge. Peter, I appreciate you, uh, you, you being on here. I'm going to, I'll, I'll end it with that. I'll put all of your, all of your links 